Welcome to ResearchPod. Vaping poses a new problem for regulators and healthcare providers. Who is inhaling how much nicotine? Among many different brands, formulations, devices, and behaviours, a solid scientific underpinning of the typical puff is proving hard to come by. Looking at data from a sweeping review, I'm speaking today with Ian Jones about how much is known and how much is left to know about e-cigarettes. Hello there, Ian. Hello there. Hi, thanks for your time today. I was wondering if we could start with maybe a little bit about yourself, kind of on a personal level, and what led you to this as a research topic. Certainly, yes. So currently, my role is the principal scientist within Japan Tobacco International, which is an interesting role. Uh, I essentially get to work with the range of scientists we have across the company, helping them, advising them, and guiding them in terms of research strategy, what we what we should be focusing our research efforts on, but also in terms of helping them uh, analyze data and interpret data. In terms of a background, I actually have an academic background. I spent most of my working career to date in the UK, working in a variety of universities in London, Oxford, and Bath, and my research area was neuroscience. So by training, I'm interested in the science of the brain, in particular, the effect of chemicals like nicotine on the brain function. So this is where I came came from. And a number of years ago, I was offered the opportunity of stepping out of academia and joining uh, a large multinational company again in a science role, but this time taking my scientific knowledge and placing it on top of a more commercial environment. It still feels to me a little bit like being back in university because I still get to mentor and tutor scientists, but obviously there's a much more acute consumer-centric focus to everything we do nowadays. And I suppose when it comes to brain activity, nicotine ticks both the boxes of having that chemical activity, like you say, but also the kind of the applied psychology and behavior end of things. Indeed, nicotine is a multifaceted uh, compound. It has um, numerous effects on the body. And obviously, I've been able, with my background, to bring the knowledge I have about nicotine's effects on the body to uh, the uh, commercial side of the business in terms of helping us understand the effects uh, our products have on the consumers, but equally importantly, also helping educate and inform consumers and other interested parties, such as regulators, about the science behind our products. I suppose the latest generation or the latest wave of that would be the e-cigarette vaping devices, your jewels and so on. Yes, I've been fortunate. I've certainly uh, say made the jump from academia to uh, industry at a very interesting time. Uh, e-cigarettes and other reduced risk products is the term that uh, is colloquially being used now. So these are products which have you know, the potential to reduce the risks associated with uh, uh, the use of tobacco or smoking. And how do you find that? the clinical end of research and regulation is keeping up or trying to keep pace with the 
changing consumer access and consumer behaviors around a new form of nicotine delivery? As a new product category, there is a lot to learn. So we really started about 10 years ago with a blank piece of paper in terms of what we knew about these products, how they perform, what uh, do consumers get from them, what do they take in the bodies, and what effect these um, have on the bodies. It really started with the e-cigarettes, but more recent years, we've seen other uh, forms of reduced risk products, such as uh, products which heat, not burn tobacco, come to the uh, come to the market. And this really, as a scientist, could not be uh, any more exciting because the, all, the questions are all there in front of us. And my team and the teams I work with, as well as many uh, in university and other companies, are actively conducting research to try and understand the science behind electronic cigarettes and, let's say, these other alternative products. Which leads very neatly to the review that we're talking about today, which seems to be trying to take a whole view of the entire body of e-cigarette or vaping research, so much as there is any for such a new field. I mean, how many papers went into this thing at the start? Indeed. Well, originally, the question that we put on the table in front of us really is, how much nicotine do consumers take into their bodies from e-cigarette use? Obviously, with most e-cigarette users and most uh, users of these alternative products are former smokers, uh, and they are looking to use these products as replacements for their um, their smoking. Now, there has been a plethora of research conducted on this area, so different researchers in different environments looking into the question. And when we did an initial search, we came up with just over 2,600 papers on the topic. So you can imagine a huge database out there, which once we'd been through them, we came down to about 200 papers or so that were actually addressing how much nicotine uh, was taken to the body. Further screening these papers to find out which ones had usable data or data which was published that we could use, we landed on uh, 27 papers which were included in our analysis. Now, the important thing is that each of these papers examines the question from a very specific uh, context or perspective. So they could be study that was done in the US or a study that was done in the UK, for example, or a study that was done on this a, one particular type of electronic cigarette. Uh, and other studies could be other electronic cigarettes or other liquids. So each one had its own flavor. If you think of a jigsaw, each study was a piece of the jigsaw. Our question was, if you put all these studies together, link them together, can we actually make the jigsaw puzzle and actually get an idea at a higher level in general, what is the uh, nicotine uptake from e-cigarettes, where we smooth out the differences between studies in terms of e-liquid concentration or device characteristics. So that that's essentially what we did. We took these over 2,000 papers, went through them, and as I say, landed on 27 studies which had usable data that we could combine and uh, assess scientifically to see what the general um, uptake of nicotine is from e-cigarettes. Now, you mentioned that all of these papers had their own flavor, and to kind of follow that idea, were e-cigarette or vape flavors something that was involved in the scope of this review? I mean, I can understand that there's a lot of them out there. It might have been hard to take all of that in at once. It, it 
wasn't necessarily outside. We looked to see what data the papers had that we could use. And to be honest, to date, very few papers um, have actually looked specifically at the role of flavors. I think this is one of the future research directions that I'm sure um, uh, scientists working in this area will look into. But at the moment, there was insufficient data on you know, specific flavors to be able to look at that as a specific variable, shall we say, in the analysis. The issue is there are so many, there are thousands of flavors out there. And so to actually, uh, let's say, smooth out the bumps, the differences between flavors, you'd need a much larger data set than we have at the moment. The main take-home message uh, from analyzing all these papers is that there is not one determining factor which predicts how much nicotine people take up from their e-cigarettes. For a while now, we have assumed and others have assumed that there is a simple correlation between the amount of nicotine in the liquid in your device and the amount of nicotine that is taken up into the body. So if you took, for example, a four milligram, a low nicotine content liquid, you would uh, take in a, a small amount of nicotine into your body compared to, say, a 20 milligram nicotine liquid. What the analysis shows is actually that does not hold necessarily true. There's actually only a very weak correlation between the amount of nicotine in the liquid and the amount of nicotine people take in the body. And this could seem a little bit odd. You would think that it's, you know, the, the more that's in there, the more you take in. And that thinking really derives from food. The more sugar you have in your coffee, the more sugar you take into your body. This is different with electronic cigarettes and other such devices because other factors can have an influence. So not only the nicotine concentration liquid, but also the type of device. Electronic cigarettes are a very heterogeneous category. In fact, people talk about generations of electronic cigarettes, and we are the latest versions or the latest iterations of the product are known as generation four devices. So we're on the fourth generation e-cigarette at the moment. And really, the type of electronic cigarettes you use has an influence on the amount of nicotine that is A, aerosolized, goes into the vapor, and how much vapor uh, is formed which also uh, has an influence on how much you take in the body. So the very first generations, which were known as um, cigalikes, they looked like cigarettes. They were actually quite weakly powered, very basic devices, and were not very efficient, shall we say, in uh, aerosolizing the nicotine into the vapor. So low delivery. As time went forward and more effort was put into the development uh, of electronic cigarettes, very much like other electronic devices. Uh, the products became more efficient, and we see you know, generation two, generation three, and then generation four products becoming more efficient at delivering nicotine. In particular, larger devices, which have larger batteries, can obviously aerosolize or, or generate more vapor than a small device. So the size of device as well uh, has an impact. In fact, some of the largest nicotine uptakes we saw into the body came from large, high-powered devices, even when they have low nicotine concentration liquids in them. So the type of device is important. Other factors that 
became apparent in our analysis is user experience. In general, experienced e-cigarette users, so e-cigarette users who had uh, used e-cigarettes for a period of time, took in more nicotine than people who were using e-cigarettes uh, for the first time would only recently come to the category. And this could be explained by maybe experienced users being um, more knowledgeable, more familiar with using the product and being able to take in more of the aerosol than a, a new user. Again, this again could be that people are more comfortable with using the product and more relaxed with using the product rather than, a, let's say, watching a clock waiting for the next 10 second interval to come in. So in general, what the what the analysis showed is that there are a number of variables, both including the e-liquid concentration of nicotine, but also the type of device, the experience of the user and how the user um, actually draws or takes puffs on the device that all together uh, influence how much nicotine is taken uh, into the body. It is important to note, though, that for a vast majority of the studies and vast majority of the data points, the nicotine uptake from e-cigarettes was still lower than that conventionally uh, taken up from smoking. So e-cigarettes have yet, or majority of e-cigarettes have yet to deliver the same nicotine levels as consumers uh, are used to from their cigarette smoking experience. I guess at the extremes of smoking behaviour, if someone was using an e-cigarette as a nicotine reduction device, would it still be possible to get that equivalent dosage, or is it that threshold is so much lower that it's, try as you might, you're just not going to get the same hit? Because it's a combination of factors. For consume, I think consumers find the mix of liquid and device that is applicable to their situation. So, for example, um, somebody who is, uh, for want of a better word, a heavy smoker that is looking to switch to e-cigarettes may decide to use a larger device uh, with a slightly higher nicotine concentration to uh, mimic the, um, or try to get as close as he can to the nicotine uptake he was getting uh, from his smoking habit. But what we do find also over time is that users tend to then um, step down um, either the nicotine concentration or go to smaller devices. So it does seem that consumers do over a period of time modulate or change their e-cigarette choices and their liquid choices to suit the situation they are in. So it's a bit of a mixture, um, but consumers have the opportunity and have the uh, ability to um, choose their device that suits them and choose a liquid that suits them for their particular um, needs at that time. We also do find that um, consumers can also titrate their nicotine levels. So there does appear to be some consumer influence over uh, knowing when they've had enough nicotine for that period of time and then <laughs> stop using e-cigarettes. So titration is another factor which hasn't really been extensively researched in the e-cigarette space to date, but I'm sure, again, will be a, a hot topic for uh, research in the future. So to put this into the hands of someone who was either looking to switch from cigarettes to vaping or wants to know more about the content of any of their equipment, if they are holding a bottle of nicotine in one hand and an e-cigarette in the other and they want to know, what am I going to get when I put these two together? Is there any guidance that could be given to them or to, like you say, the regulators, the 
companies and other businesses that may be interested in that use? For a consumer's perspective, I think manufacturers are increasingly providing consumers with more information about their products. As a consumer, they, you know, people should always look at manufacturer websites, etc., for information on the uh, the performance of a particular e-cigarette, uh, for example. Consumers also have the option of um, uh, going to vape shops and speaking to the salespeople there. They're often a very good, valuable source of information in terms of helping consumers decide the right product for them at that particular time. And also going forward to also then uh, look to uh, if they wish to change devices or let's say step down their their e-cigarette or nicotine uptake, uh, they can get the advice there. So I think as the industry learns, as as we all learn about e-cigarettes going forward, I think more information will become available to consumers to help them make their informed choices. In terms of the regulators, this is also an extremely interesting area. Around the world, just as with the consumers, you know, e-cigarettes popped up and regulators initially weren't sure how to deal with them. Uh, many countries now, and uh, including in, in Europe, we now have e-cigarette-specific regulation. And again, in those regulations quite often uh, include a nicotine limit in liquids. So in Europe, uh, the nicotine content of e-liquids is capped at uh, 20 milligrams per mil. So 20 milligrams of nicotine per milliliter of e-liquid. That limit is several years old now. That regulation was put in force uh, a number of years ago. And really in the early days of electronic cigarette science, when we knew very little about um, how the products performed. And the limit was intended not only as a a safety uh, perspective um, to try and prevent people taking too much nicotine, but also to try and mimic the nicotine uptake from cigarette smoking. Because at the time, it was felt that 20 milligrams per mil was a uh, reasonable estimate of the concentration needed to provide the same nicotine uptake as uh, smokers get from cigarettes. Again, this was in the early days, so we were still in the first and maybe the second generation devices, and we hadn't yet seen the more recent, uh, more efficient devices. And what the data again shows uh, from our analysis is that for modern devices or for the more recent devices, this 20 milligram per milliliter limit probably insufficient to allow smokers to get the same amount of nicotine as they do from their cigarette smoking. The data is a little bit of a wake-up call as well to regulate, to say that, yes, um, uh, the the limit that was imposed those years ago was um, a reasonable estimate at the time, given the state, the evolution of the e-cigarette category at the time. But if the spirit behind that limit is to afford smokers the opportunity to get you know the similar levels of nicotine or similar product satisfaction uh, from e-cigarettes that they do from smoking then with the modern devices maybe that limit needs to be rethought. Uh, if i go to canada for example canada there the limit is 66 milligrams um, per mil which is much is more based on the uh, on the risk analysis of nicotine per se and there are independent scientists who have actually um, challenged the EU limit and said that Canadian-style limit, a higher limit, 
is nowadays needed in order to uh, allow consumers to get the same nicotine uptake they get from their smoking. Were there any parts that this review didn't touch on or that you could see being followed up in further research? Like what other kind of the gaps of knowledge around this paper and how that fits within the global regulatory approach? In terms of what it did in looking at the available data to date, as it has identified those four main factors that influence nicotine uptake. Um, so the, the liquid itself, the device characteristics, user experience, and the way users actually um, um, puff on the device. As I mentioned earlier, one of the um, areas that we have less information on is flavors, partly uh, because the studies to date really haven't focused in that area, possibly understandably, given the, the large number of flavors out there. So I do think that e-cigarette flavors may be a, an area of future investigation. In terms of other steps, I mean, there, there's still other gaps in our knowledge around e-cigarettes, in particular, let's say, the long-term um, health effects of use. They are positioned as um, products with potential to reduce the health risks associated with smoking. And certain public health bodies, such as the Public Health England in the UK, have um, endorsed that view. Public Health England estimate that e-cigarettes are 95% safer than smoking. Uh, I think that we still need some more data um, around this, particularly as it's an evolving category, uh, that as newer, let's say more efficient, higher quality devices come onto the market, hopefully we'll have more data that can really uh, continue to firm up that reduced risk potential these categories have. And the other interesting area, as meant, again, as I mentioned earlier, E-cigarettes are one example of what is you know, the, these novel uh, alternative choices uh, to cigarettes. And it would be interesting to look at some of these other uh, emerging categories, such as the heated tobacco product category that is uh, even younger than e-cigarettes, and look to see whether um, these products are delivering similar levels of nicotine uh, to e-cigarettes and what the major influence is there. And also the nicotine pouches, which is um, uh, another recent innovation, and see how these are delivering nicotine to the consumer. So I think there's many questions still out there to be answered. And I'm pleased that I say not only the industry, but many in academia and uh, public uh, authorities are continuing to either conduct or to fund such research so that, I say, consumers uh, can have that accurate and objective uh, information on the products and that they can make their informed choices. And if anyone listening to this does want to know more about the specifics of this paper or the ongoing research that you and your team are up to, where would be the best way for them to find out more? So we have a, uh, a science website uh, which people can go to, which explains the science behind our products, what we're doing, and also has a, a database of our publications, uh, the science that we, uh, we, we, we publish. The website is jt-science.com. And if, certainly if anyone is interested in learning more, I do encourage them to visit the website. It's been deliberately prepared so that there is a section which uh, explains the science to scientists, so uses 
quite complex scientific terminology. But equally importantly, we then also have the option to look at the non-scientist explanation. So we try to not only explain our science to other scientists, which uh, as a scientist is an easy trap that we often fall into, but we do go the extra step in then preparing a lay summary, a non-scientist summary of the work we do. So hopefully the information is understandable to anybody who visits the site and wishes to learn more about e-cigarettes and other uh, reduced risk products and the science behind them.